The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. What to watch this week? It's time for TV and streaming. And Joe Shea is joined today by Sarah McGuinness. And Sarah, you heard me last week talking about this England, the Boris Johnson and how they handled COVID documentary drama uh, series that is on Sky Atlantic. You've decided to start watching it. What have you found of it? So I am currently on the fourth episode and truth be told, I don't really know what to make of it. I don't know if it's I'm just not finished with it. I I am sure. Anyway, there was a couple of things that really stuck out to me and they must have stuck out to lots of reviewers because basically three things keep coming up, basically, that um, it's a bit sympathetic towards Johnson. I agree with that. I do agree with that. Interestingly enough, while the series was in post-production, Partygate broke. They decided not to go back and revisit it, which I think you can't really... God, that's absolutely crucial to an understanding of the way Johnson behaved in 10 Downing Street, isn't it? I don't think you can give an honest honest depiction of how jarring that time was for the public and how hurtful then it was to learn what their politicians were doing without including Partygate. So I think that was their downfall but um, And what about the portrayal of uh, Johnson by Kenneth Branagh I mean sympathetic although as I think I mentioned last week or if I didn't I said it off there it reminded me more of his father Stanley than it did of Boris Johnson himself When I saw the poster I thought that resemblance is striking and if you close your eyes it is and from the back it is but he looks like his face is melting from the front. He really does look like Stanley. Um, but his voice is spot on. I don't really think Bre- uh, Brana is the problem. I think he did a great job with it. But it's just what he was given to work with. You know, like I'm, th- I'm on the fourth episode and most of what Boris Johnson has said so far are quotes of Shakespeare. And it's unbearable. You know, he doesn't seem to have a breeze what's going on. But that's something that Mark Winterbottom admitted. He was doing an interview with Vanity and he said... Um, or. Variety, sorry, and he said um, that he was sympathetic towards Johnson, but I, I, I don't get really how you could be. Like, there's this one really jarring sequence of um, patients in hospital beds on ventilators, and it cuts to Boris Johnson absolutely wolfing down a pizza, saying, "This is the best meal I've had in ages." But he'd been on two holidays since Christmas, and this was February, so. Uh, Joe this idea that um, being sympathetic towards Boris Johnson, the idea that he would constantly be going around quoting Shakespeare. Mm. Is that believable? In some respects it might be. Yeah, I think it is believable because what we do know of Boris Johnson uh, for certain is that he's not really a details guy and he does kind of wing it a lot. He does have this great opinion of himself as this, you know, this towering intellect, a classicist. You know, he's actually, he was paid a huge advance to write a a new biography of Shakespeare. Uh, He hasn't delivered on on that yet. He has time now to though. Yeah, he has plenty of time now to do it, yeah. There's still chasing him for that but uh, I, when, I, when I heard that they'd basically ignored Partygate and they did have time to go back and do it I just you know it's that's uh, <laughs> Hamlet without the ghost if you don't mind me quoting Shakespeare you know I, it's I, I, I felt like you know I, I kind of had it on my list to, to watch but it's dropping down now and you know, you know the way you have this kind of list in your head right? I must, must watch that I must watch it's dropping way down the list I don't think I'm going to find the time to watch it Okay now uh, let's hear a little bit of Brendan Gleeson, uh, the actor and doing uh, the host of Saturday Night Live at the weekend. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm uh, Brendan Gleeson. If you don't recognise the accent, I'm Irish. 
And if you don't recognize the face, I'm that fella that you've seen in that thing that you can't remember, but you think you kind of liked. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Let me see. You probably have seen me in Braveheart. <laughs> You've poss possibly seen me in Harry Potter. <laughs> you definitely haven't seen me in Joel Cohen's Black and White Macbeth. <laughs> but you should check it out. I think it's great. <laughs> I tell you, I'm not really used to telling jokes, so I thought I'd play a tune for you instead. Can I get my mandolin, please? This is, uh, this is the first tune I ever learned. It was, it was made famous by a man called Barney McKenna. And Barney was the, the banjo player with the Dubliners. They were travelling to a very hot country one time and Barney was told it would be 40 degrees in the shade. 104 degrees in the shade. I'll tell you one thing, he said, I'm not going anywhere near the shade. <laughs> and that's just part of the opening monologue, which then was crashed by Colin Farrell. Sarah, what did you make of this? So, I, I watched it and I thought it was quite cute. I enjoyed it. You know, like, I thought it was quite authentic. He's not a stand-up comedian. He's a great actor. And, you know, sometimes I, I'm watching Pete Davidson and I'm thinking, please be quiet. It's a bit much sometimes. It's a bit in your face. I thought it was really nice. I thought he stayed true to himself. It I, was charmingly awkward, though. I mean, it's, you know, it, it was the wrong... He's, he's a lovely guy and playing the mandolin, but, but going out on Saturday Night Live and delivering anecdotes about Barney McConnell from the Dubliners, you know, it, the, the audience were a bit mystified by the whole thing. It wasn't his fault, but because he's not one of these American actors that, have, you know, will come out and give it great guns and, and really go for it and, you know, turn on the full beam uh, charm and, uh, you know, get, get the audience going, it just came across as very awkward and I felt kind of sorry for him in, in some respects. What was interesting, when Colin Farrell came out, it did kind of lift then because Colin Farrell kind of brought that extra kind of star quality to it, but it just didn't work, I didn't think. And there's been a lot of criticism of the entire show. Now, that said, Joe, a lot of people say, when is Saturday Night Live ever yeah. last been funny? So yeah. to expect Fam suddenly Brendan Gleeson to be acting parts of it out and for yeah. that to be funny was maybe expecting yeah. too much. Yeah, uh, Saturday Night Live, famously unfunny, to, especially to non-American audiences. It's never travelled well. It may have been funny in the kind of late 70s, possibly, and, you know, it had its moments in the 90s as well. But it hasn't been funny for some time. One of the interesting things about the new season of Saturday Night Live is the writers are actually acknowledging the fact that it is a bit safe. It is, isn't as edgy or as it could have been years ago. It's, it's just Irish audiences, English audiences, British audiences, European audiences will never get Saturday nightlife and we'll never get the attraction of it. Uh, back to you, Sarah, because last Wednesday we had Marina Hyde with us on the programme and one of the things she was speaking about is how the reality television is now influencing our selection of politicians and how we pick American presidents, even British prime ministers, almost on the basis of their fame that they gained from reality television. There's a series you've been watching on Channel 4, Make Me PM. What is this and how compelling is it? So I... I love it. It's like, it, it's excruciating to watch, but it's fantastic. So I've, I 
since the time I was about 12, I loved The Apprentice. I was a massive nerd for it. I really enjoyed it. It's basically that, but for politicians. So 12 want to be want to be politicians are divided into two teams or parties. They appoint a PM as opposed to a project manager. So prime minister, <laughs> very okay. in keeping. And basically they're giving some form of policy orientated task. The first week it was education reform. Um, and basically they have to pitch it to the media. Really very like highly regarded political correspondents in the UK, like the lady who broke Partygate um, was scrutinising them in episode one. And um, then they also have to pitch to the public and ultimately um, someone will get the sack every week. The prime minister of the fi- of the failing team can decide to go with Grace or they can throw someone else under the bus. But ultimately the decision lies with um, the two advisors, Alistair Campbell and Saida Warsi. Um, so they're painful enough in themselves, but so are kind of all the contestants. But my favourite part of it is how the media treat them because um, they're just so oblivious and they don't really have to try very hard but they just make them look absolutely idiotic it's it's really entertaining it's a little bit excruciating but I do think they have a great mix of characters and I think you know Alistair Campbell mentioned something in the first episode about um wouldn't it be amazing if one of these people went on and became a politician? Out of that selection, I don't know if I, I'd say it'd, it'd be amazing because it would be a bit worrying. But um, I think in theory, the idea is good. I think it's a great way of making politics a bit more accessible. And it might start a discussion about what we want from our politicians, which I think the UK could really do with at the moment. George Shea, can you see us ever selecting our politicians in Ireland this way? No, uh, and and I can't. And Sarah's done a good job of, of selling this show, but like uh, it combines a lot of things that I don't like in you know, the Apprentice and Alistair Campbell being being two of them. Uh, we won't tell Alistair that the next time he's on. The yeah, I know he's a I know he's a freak. He's a frequent flyer on your show, but, uh, but he's um, I I just can't stand the guy. And I know he's flying high at the moment as well with his podcast. It's the number one podcast in, in the UK and all that kind of stuff. I can see the attraction. He's a smart guy. I just never liked him, and I couldn't watch I couldn't watch the show. Uh, Sarah, I believe you've become obsessed with Ireland's fittest family. I am obsessed. It's actually my favourite TV show and I am the least sporty person alive. Like I have not got one ounce of competitive spirit in my body, but I don't know, something about Ireland's fittest family just really ignites it in me. Uh, So the show's in its 10th year and this year's a great one. I'm really enjoying it. Um, We're on our second week, so I say we as if I'm in it, but um, it's just brilliant. I watch it with my family. Like we have really good fun. Um, We're in the heat stage at the moment, as I mentioned. So it's not too late to join in. It's on every Sunday. Uh, The four coaches are... I don't know if I'd say brilliant, but I enjoy watching them. It's Davy Fitz, Anna Geary, Dunica O'Callaghan and new coach Nina Carberry, who I actually think is really nice. And um, yeah, it's just, I don't know what it is about it. It just really appeals to me. Like yesterday, I, last night I was on my couch, like absolutely chowing down on a bag of Maltesers and kind of screaming at the TV. They have to run up this big mad wall. It's about five metres high and it looks excruciating. But it just, in my head, I'm like, I could really do that. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm living through it. Maybe I'm fulfilling some neglected sports fantasy that I had for myself as a child. I'm not sure, but I think it's very entertaining and a really good family viewing. It's remarkable, Joe, that one has been running such a long time and shows little sign of flagging, particularly as they tend to keep changing a lot of the locations. Although I think at times maybe they should show more of the events and less of the sort of the talking about it. 
Yeah, there's a lot of kind of stuff in between every uh, the actual events, and the actual events are the, are the, the, the kind of you know, the, the excitement, the fun of it. They're lucky in that they have. The, the, there's a good mix of the judges and the guests. Donica O'Callaghan, I think, is really good on it, and Nina Carberry as well. She's got something. She brings something kind of new, something fresh, and she's got real personality to her as well. So it's it, it still get, does huge, you know, does really well for RT. Gets a, lo- a lot of people viewing it, a lot of appointment view, uh, family viewing as well, uh, and it kind of it can it's, it it gives them a, something that can genuinely compete with the Bake Offs and Strictly uh, Come Dancing's of this world. The Bake Offs. I love the story, Joe, about cultural appropriation in Mexican Week. Tell us about this. I wasn't aware uh, of this. Yeah, this is ridiculous. I mean, God, you know, it's... Right, they did Mexican Week and I watched it and we watched it as a family, really enjoyed it and it was a lot of fun and it did actually kind of go pretty deep into Mexican food. There was, I've been to Mexico a few times, I like Mexican food, there was a lot in it that I didn't uh, know about but it's after getting um, a, a lot of criticism, mostly from sort of, I think this is one, one where kind of a, 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 you know, a news organisation went out and found some people to be, or, to be outraged but they talked to um, chefs uh, in Mexican restaurants in London and in the UK mostly and they said it was a bit they only talked about tacos they only talked about tequila they you know they were practically wearing sombreros and all this kind of stuff uh it's i i thought that was very very unfair and what you know what do, what do you kind of expect as well it's, yeah, it's, but, it's, it's, but sarah i mean i suppose if there was to be one done in irish food wouldn't be objective if it was only bacon and cabbage washed on the pints of guinness like i they literally were wearing sombreros in the opening sequence and now that's not the most offensive thing Matt Lucas has ever done but if you're kind of going down that route of we're going to be really diverse in our food I think in this day and age you just kind of have to be hyper aware of it and like you're Uh, dead right like if well I don't know I probably would have found it funny but if Matt Lucas was wearing a leprechaun costume on Irish Food Week I don't think that many people would be happy about it so I think Joe's right I definitely think they went looking for a story in it but um, I think people yeah, have the right to be annoyed it, it, Bacon and bacon, uh, cabbage and bacon are, that's not the bacon and cabbage is not our national dish, dish by the way our national dish is a uniquely Irish invention, lasagna, coleslaw and chips. That's, that is the, I thought that you were going to say the breakfast roll. Okay. <laughs> or, or the breakfast roll, yeah. Joe, just oh, to finish, yeah. we need picks of the week from both of you. Okay. So I'll start with you because I didn't know this one was on a Wednesday night that you've picked yeah. and I'm definitely going to have a look at this. Tell us about the Elon Musk show. Yeah, well, you can't avoid Elon Musk at the moment. I mean, the guy is in the news all of the time and the stuff he's been saying about Taiwan and Ukraine and people, he's driving people crazy at the moment, right? And he's also on again, off again, trying to buy Twitter. This is very, very timely. BBC Two, Wednesday, 9pm this week, the Elon Musk show. And it's the first of a three-part series and they're going to go really deep on this. And they've actually talked, they've got his mother and other family members talking about him. They've got former employees, close friends and very close enemies talking the story about, uh, telling the story about Elon must rise, I mean, from incredibly, from son of incredibly rich family to world's richest man and how he shook up Silicon Valley. I think it's, it's going to be fascinating because, you know, love him or hate him. And I think most people are driven crazy by the guy. You can't ignore him. He's, he's a fixture at okay. the moment. So it's great. Sarah, what's your pick, please? So my pick is The Midnight Club, which came out on Netflix over the weekend. And I think it's really great. It's um, kind of, it's basically set in this hospice for teens. It's quite morbid. It's being compared to a morbid breast breakfast club I've never seen the breakfast club which is kind of embarrassing but I can Mm. see where they're coming from Uh, so they're kind of living out their days with these horrible diagnoses and um, it's all very grim but to pass the time they kind of tell these spooky ghost stories and they actually are quite spooky like for a teen show 
where the rest of it is quite PG-13, the rest of it, like the stories are, the way they tell the stories is quite spooky. Um, so it's really good. It's very much angled towards the Stranger Things audience, has that kind of retro timeless feel to it. But the one thing that made me choose it as my pick of the week is there is an Irish actress who is front and centre and she is fab. Her name is Ruth Codd. Uh, she's from Wexford and she, she has the thickest Wexford accent I have ever heard. And I loved that they made no effort to try and conceal it. Um, and she is an amputee she um, doesn't I don't know which leg it is but she um, has no calf um, on one, from one of her knees down and um, she's just fab she's kind of a bit of a villain in it but she's great and she's a TikToker she started she? on TikTok so she started making these really funny videos about life as an amputee she's hilarious she's, her mom was always in them but this is her first TV role and she's absolutely killing it a lot of the reviews I read um, very much agree so delighted for her Okay, brilliant. Sarah McGuinness, Joe Shea, thank you. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.